0: Welcome to another Principal of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning to this special bonus episode. Now, Principal of Hospitality is being developed to tell the stories of professionals within the dynamic world of hospitality. We're straight-talking, ethically-minded, and a reliable online source of information and inspiration for people in the hospitality industry. Now, with today's bonus episode... It is fantastic to have Tam here, the event and brand manager from our friends at WorkSmith, where we record so many of our podcasts in Melbourne here. We're going to talk about this amazing event, which only happened recently, uh, that we're going to put on in a minute. Hey, Tam, how are you?
1: Good, thank you. How are you?
0: I am fantastic. Thank you for asking. Now, obviously, this event uh, happened a couple of weeks ago as we we're recording this. It was a fantastic event. I've listened to it. It was awesome. Can you tell the listeners just a bit about it, who was, who was on the panel for this amazing discussion and then what we can expect from this discussion today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was a great event. We posed the question, who is in control of your venue's narrative? Uh, we had a great uh, lineup of journalists, some PR... Perspective and uh, hospitality professional. So, James Spreadbury, the former NOMA service director and partner representing uh, hospitality management. Mm-hmm. Fiona Brooke from Ziller and Brook PR Agency, Rosalind Grundy, uh, Deputy Editor of Good Food mm-hmm. and our returning MC, Danny Valent, both uh, with some fantastic journalist experience.
0: Yeah. So what's one thing that people can probably take away from for this next 60 minutes or so do you think it's really impactful?
1: I think we were super happy to come to the conclusion that uh, venues always have the opportunity to change their narrative uh, and it's not necessarily set in stone.
0: Awesome. And especially because it's not a real topic that we talk about in the industry too much and PR and media and all that kind of stuff like it's integral now to how hospitality venues can grow. So I I know from the next 60 minutes or so that you're going to listen to, you're going to learn so much.
1: Tam, thanks
2: so much for joining me.
1: Thank you so much for having us on.
2: Good evening, everybody. My name is Danny Vallant. Welcome to Worksmith Community Talks. I woke up on Boonarung country, and we're gathered here tonight on Wurundjeri country. It's a privilege to be here on the lands of the Kulin Nation. I try to carry that awareness with me every day, and with that in mind, I pay respects to Elders past and present, and to any First Nations people here today. I can't wait to vote yes in the referendum later this year. We are here, gathered here for Worksmith Community Talks, who is in control of your venue's narrative. My name is Danny Vallant. I'm a food writer, I'm a storyteller. I'm pretty obsessed with venues narratives, I have to say. So when I was asked to moderate this particular panel, I leapt at the opportunity. So a topic like who is in control of your venues narrative, it resonates immediately with me. I tell stories about venues, but are they the same stories that venues tell or try to tell about themselves? And in the ever-changing landscape of social media, what are the roles of journalists, public relations people, marketing companies, and influencers within the hospitality industry? And how can, be, how can venues be equipped to deal with them? Is it worth playing the game of controlling your narrative? Has it already been decided for you by evil people like me? Can you pivot in an established business? And what can you do to have a better understanding of who currently controls these stories? about your business. We have got a truly excellent panel to dig into all of this. To my far left, we have Fiona Brooke, who runs Zilla and Brooke Marketing and PR agency. Fiona is someone whose emails I always read, although he's a general apology for not always replying to them in a timely oh, yeah. manner. <laughs> But yeah, as journalists, I think Rosalind and I can agree we do get a lot of emails from marketing and PR, and some of them are much better put together than others. And Fiona's always exquisite. In the centre there, Rosalind Grundy. Rosalind is a long time and previous editor of the Age Good Food Guide. She's been had a key editorial role on Epicure Good Food for many years. She's yeah, just someone whose voice and opinions and Ethics and protocols. I respect absolutely, and she's an amazing person to have on this panel here tonight. Here, close to me, James Spreadbury, Adelaide boy, but has spent thirteen years in Europe, where he's been a key person at Noma, a little restaurant in Denmark that you may have heard of. He was, yeah, just integral to the pop-ups in Mexico and Sydney, yeah, which was, yeah, an incredible thing to experience probably quite incredible to run James. James is now back in Adelaide as part of the Another Kind restaurant group and certainly an exciting time to be in Adelaide and I'm sure everything you do is making it only more exciting. Uh, So let's give a round of applause to our wonderful panellists. So I think when we're talking about a, when we've got a topic, who controls your venue's narrative? I think we really need to know what we mean by a venue's narrative. So I'd like to start there with a bit of a definition. Fiona, this is something that you deal with all the time. But how do you think about it? These, is this a term that you used when we talked about it? Do you, do you started thinking about it? Did it mean something to you immediately? What does it What does it say to you? I think
3: the, the way that we communicate it to venues is really about storytelling. Narrative is hard I think sometimes for organisations to understand or quite grasp of what that exactly means but we're trying to encourage the venues that we are working with to consider what is the story of their venue and that could be and what we do want is we want people to be thinking about this from the outset And of course, in a lot of cases, people come to us already with their ideas in place. And sometimes, of course, people come to us with no ideas in place. And then we need to work with them and help them understand what that story could be. It's an important first step, first meeting, take the brief, find out more about the venue, find out more about what it is that they're trying to achieve and ask all the right questions to build that story.
2: And Rosalind, do you think that, a narrative is important does a venue need a narrative
1: yeah I think they do I think they have to come when they approach the media I think they have to come with some idea in mind about what makes their venue special because if they don't know they can't communicate it and we can't pick up what they're trying to tell so yeah I think it's definitely important to have a story it may not be the story that eventually will appear but at least to come with some ideas of what they're trying to express.
2: And James, Noma is a place that people are so interested in. Everyone wanted wanted to tell their Noma story. What was it like to be integral to the venue? How did you think about narrative?
4: That's a good question. I think the word narrative for me is still a relatively new word. And I think that now I use that word because I look at things a little bit differently. But I feel that when I was there It wasn't so much driven by that and coming from a sort of an operator's point of view, it came from much more of a place of, I guess you could say, philosophy or culture. And I think the word culture and the actual culture was what we worked on and focused on a lot. But that culture became a part of the story Mm -hmm. and the storytelling. So I think that you're right in saying that for operators and venue, it makes much more sense to think about it as a story and getting that story across.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because when I review a restaurant, my first question to myself when I walk in or when I'm thinking about going there is, what is the project of this restaurant? So project is more the word that I would use, which is maybe more what you're saying. It's who is this restaurant trying to be? What are they trying to do? And then do they succeed on their own terms? That's my question to myself. But then, of course, when I'm communicating that, I'm expressing it in a narrative. Fiona, how do you balance... That out? What kinds of starting points might a restaurant or a venue come to you with, and how might you lead them along that path to telling a story?
3: It certainly starts with the venue's reason. The people behind the venue, what's their reason for starting a restaurant? How are they contributing? to the the restaurant culture in melbourne are they is it based on their tradition or their culture or is it based on previous experience or is it based on a gap in the market or is it based on a certain ethos and a philosophy of how they're looking at food and how they're using ingredients so working out what are the reasons they decided to open and why people would want to go why would people be interested in experimenting and if they're and if people are looking at a venue for example that's with a traditional like a cuisine that we all know and love italian for ex- cuisine for example What are they doing to contribute to the already very busy and um, much-loved Italian cuisine elements and venues in Melbourne and how are they adding to that? Because that's that level of newness or innovation or some little hook, tiniest little hook. And also sometimes people will say the tiniest little thing off the cuff and you'll be like, aha, that's... Actually, something have you not thought about that? Something that is interesting.
2: Can you think of any examples of that?
3: Usually it happens around like perhaps an experience that they've had, whether it could be I mean it could be an experience in another country or it could be an experience in another previous role, but there's something in there that could be they realize that there's some long lost recipe that they've discovered and they now want to use as a leaping-off point for a whole concept.
2: Yeah, I think that really resonates with me when I'm talking to restaurateurs or chefs and trying to work out what the story is. Mm. It's those little things that they might pass over themselves that, yeah, it really takes someone else to say, hang on a minute, that's special about you.
3: We apply that to every single conversation with the client, no matter what sector they're in. What is that little nub that can actually make the story ring true.
2: And Rosalind, when you're looking at whether it's information from a restaurant themselves or for some, from someone such as Fiona, do you sometimes feel that this they're trying to tell you one story but you're actually seeing a different story?
1: Oh, so often. So often I think that they're trying to push some particular storyline and it just doesn't ring true when you read the background of the chef, let's say, or you read what the menu is telling you or that sort of thing. You're looking you're looking for a story and if it's not backed up, if what they're telling you is not backed up by the material they're giving you, you have to come up with your own storyline, a hook, as you were saying. Yeah. We are always looking for a really strong hook, a hook that will make people want to engage with the story, read on, read past the headline, read past the introduction to the story and find out more. It has to be something that grabs you.
2: And do you think sometimes that's a hook that the restaurant might not be happy with, like that they wish that wasn't the, the narrative that you'd picked up on?
1: I don't often get them coming back to me and complaining, but I guess that could happen. I do remember one example from a long time ago of a very senior Italian woman who I went to the restaurant, I watched her making a pasta. She had these enormously strong hands and they were just she was so good at making this pasta and I focused my intro on something about her strong hands or something she was really unhappy with that because for an older Italian woman to focus on her strong hands she was she found that really insulting like I was saying that she was manly or something like that and to me it it was about her experience and to her it was an an unattractive quality yeah yeah that's really interesting maybe pre-pastor
2: grannies now she'd just be like yeah i want to be like all those nonnas (laughs) james let's talk about the differences that you see in this type of storytelling between europe and australia like what's the european experience like perhaps in terms of the media that come or influences do you find that it's a similar landscape in in australia that you experienced in copenhagen
4: In some ways, there's similarities, yes, but I find at least what I'm seeing here and I've watched from afar is that I feel that I guess what you would call an influencer in at least in Europe and especially America, it seems different to here. Um, One thing I've noticed here in a positive way is that I feel a lot of who is influencing are those that are actually heavily involved in the industry, whether they be PR or journalists. And especially in the last few years, obviously with COVID, but I think anyway, not everybody, but many in much more of a supportive way. Uh, I feel like in Europe, there's still a bit of an old school guard in the way of food journalism. And I don't feel like necessarily, don't get me wrong, there's many that would be very supportive and active and doing great things, but not as much as you see here, where you have like actual journalists who are like promoting and helping like, a venue is hiring and looking for staff. So that's a big difference that I see here, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that shifted a lot here during COVID where I think we all felt so stricken by the plight of hospitality and these restaurants that we loved and people that we admired that I think some of those lines, those traditional lines, perhaps became a bit blurred.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone agrees with that, though. Not everyone's fully on board with the idea of journalists and venue owners, for example, being a bit more supportive of each other. Yeah.
2: No, it is, it's an interesting thing to talk about. Maybe I'll do it more when I'm one of the panellists and not <laughs> <laughs> merely eliciting pearls of wisdom from you guys. But it's, it's an interesting space. Fiona, how do you see the relationship between what you do and the role that journalists play?
3: It's definitely about making sure that the journalists have the best case scenario that they can then draw upon. And then to bring them into the venue, to encourage them to enter and to then have their own experience. And of course, the most ideal situation is if we can have what's written in the media release be somewhat borne out by the experience. We do, I do say to all of our venues that our job is to bring people to the front door and then once somebody crosses that threshold, be that a reviewer or an influencer or someone who's going in for, to do an interview about a venue, whoever it is who's crossing the threshold, you should think of everyone as a possible reviewer these, currently. And, but with the media, we specifically want people to have an idea of the direction, things that we would like them to consider. And then we certainly hope that gets borne out by the experience.
2: Everybody is a reviewer these days mm. with all the online platforms whether it's in traditional media influencers or Google reviews Fiona what would you how would you counsel venues that perhaps have some negative feedback
3: negative feedback is of course very difficult to counter we try to we encourage venues to be as ready as possible and there's always this sort of slightly hilarious thing where people say oh we want to have a soft opening because we need to be ready. And I'm like, someone could just walk in off the street and they might review you um, on their blog. They might mention you in their social media or it could be a journalist. You just don't know. And they're not going to wait necessarily for you to be ready. So why don't you try to be ready when you open the door? Make sure your <laughs> staff are trained. Do you serve rice? How about the best wine to go with that piece of fish? train your staff well and put your best foot forward at the very beginning because you only get one chance to impress.
2: Yeah, listening to you say that, it's like you're really trusting the restaurants as well because it's your reputation when you send out a release.
3: And it doesn't always work out.
2: (laughs) I know. (laughs) Interesting. What about, James, from your perspective? How do you counter feedback that perhaps isn't as you would wish it to be?
4: From... Guests or journalists or both?
2: Anyone. Okay, let's say <coughs> Google Reviews because that's probably the, it's at least in Australia where I think journalists are pretty fair and also bound by libel laws, which are very strict and much stricter than in Europe. I think Google Reviews are something that a lot of venues deal with every day and it's, I know that it causes a lot of anxiety because people often don't let you sort something out in the moment. Yeah. How do you counsel team members when there's perhaps some yeah feedback that strikes a bad note?
4: From my experience in Europe, I have to admit, like Google reviews or TripAdvisor, it was something that eventually we just stopped looking at. <clears throat> it just there wasn't any point to us. It became a waste of energy and created i guess sometimes a negative energy which w- w- was w- wasn't worth focusing on definitely being back here now and being back in south australia it's obviously it's something that's more prevalent in the everyday as you say and it is something that we look at and engage and i feel that it is at least with where i am now it is necessary to but also to to you have to take on board the i guess comments that you're getting and use them constructively to use them to train your team and to have open conversations and to talk about and to sometimes even reach out to people. If it's a guest who's had a bad experience, then we should contact them. Yeah. So we do engage in that sense.
1: You certainly can't change the narrative by becoming that keyboard warrior who starts firing back at the guest no. and oh, That never goes well.
4: No. <laughs> yeah.
3: No, that definitely doesn't go well. We have had to reign chefs in and restaurant owners from time to time and just tell them that they are seriously making it worse.
4: Yeah. I tried it, I tried it once in my life, once in my career, which is it's not something that I talk about that often, but I did have an experience once where we had some guests eating at the restaurant and they were just, they were really not nice people to the team especially and the way that they treated the team. And I was feeling a bit riled up. And a bit protective and proud of the team and what they did. And uh, so I, I took to Instagram and I basically wrote a post which was not directed to them specifically, but it was just directed around hey, people in this industry work hard and uh, people should be respectful, more or less. But they caught on to the post and realized that they were like, he's talking about us. And it caused, it actually caused quite a lot of ripple effect, um, and a lot of conversation in the city, and them, I guess, saying negative things about us, and vice versa, and it was interesting, yeah.
2: Yeah, I think perhaps it's different when you're a destination restaurant, I'm not sure if those people were locals, but I suspect perhaps they come from elsewhere. They were. Oh, they were? No, they were? That's interesting. Were. Yeah. Okay, yeah, interesting. <laughs> I think,
4: I think it, yeah, I think it's good for, in some ways, I agree with you though, like, it never... In some ways, it's good to stand up and talk about as a team and as a venue, like what you're proud of and like to defend yourself in some instances. But judgment, in some instances, it's not worth it to engage. And especially it depends on how you do it.
3: It's a chance, certainly a chance you take. And yeah. in some cases, you might come out on top. You never know. But I think that it you're never going to be able to predict the level of the other people's level of self-consciousness and how they are going to react. So it's a risk. Yeah. yeah,
1: Yeah. I think I'd be saying let it slide even if you're really wanting to vent because it so rarely goes the way you might hope it would go and as you say, people are unpredictable, you just don't know. I would just counsel against it.
2: All right, so consensus is you can't really change your narrative by fighting back on Google, (laughs) especially not at 1am. But let's talk about the possibilities of changing a narrative, of shifting tone, of perhaps you really want to reinvent your venue and you want to change the story about it. I think each of you would have something interesting to say about this James you're in the process of working together with a team to change the narrative around three Adelaide venues Rosalind, we see restaurants shifting menus whether it's a new chef comes in they want to change the story and Fiona I'm sure you have clients that want to pivot or sorry to use that word yeah just change direction who'd like to kick off this part of the chat
3: okay I will (laughs) It is true. I remember a few years ago, there was a spate of restaurants that would open and then close within six months and then rebrand. Do you remember that patch that we went through? And I swear it was going on for a couple of years and restaurants were just opening and closing and rebranding. And I did have one restaurateur who was not happy with how things were going because things weren't going that well. And they wanted to rebrand. And I was like, media are going to see right through you don't even that's just drastic stick to your guns or improve what needs to be improved obviously one of the easiest ways of course is if you get a new chef or and the new chef brings in a refreshed feel in which case that's actually newsworthy so then you can go to your media and you can say we've gone so far with this particular chef and we've now because we know that chefs change regularly and there is an opportunity to refresh there. But when you want to refresh, you really have to illustrate, I think, that you're value adding. You're not just changing so that you can get run in broadsheet for another go. Yeah. So you yeah. really do have to have a really valid reason and then you have to be able to bear it out. And it's not. it's not, we were open for breakfast, lunch and dinner, and now we're just open for lunch. And dinners on Thursdays and Fridays. So You need to be a little bit considered on what your changes are and then if it's valid and, you know, the narrative and the story is good, then we can sell it into the media But and then you've just got to change the mind of your audience and that can take the longest time.
2: Yeah, I think you can't let the story do all the work. Mm. Yeah, yeah that's right. there has to be substance behind it. Yeah. What about you, Rosalyn? What do you think about this idea of the possibility of changing a narrative?
1: I was trying to think of examples of this. I can't think of too many examples other than when you say restaurants flipping. And there are some restaurateurs who have changed concepts and have done it really well. And I'm thinking of people like Andrew McConnell. He seems to be able to just do that really cleverly Maybe a venue hasn't worked. For example, I'm thinking of his place in St Kilda. Mm. Goodness knows, he gave that place a red hot go. He tried it as mm. Golden Fields. He tried it as mm. Super Normal Canteen. There was Luxembourg. I he, liked them all. I went to they everyone. Were, they were oh. each of them great in their own way. They were all fantastic and they each had a different narrative, a proper narrative. He did the work on renovating the place each time so it had a different look a different feel you know so a completely different story and he okay he seems not to have been able to make that space really work despite his best efforts but the story was always a really strong story there are other places that yeah just do seem to flip on a dime and doesn't work
3: he has the commitment he has the brand the Andrew McConnell brand and he also has the funding to be able to give it like a brand new sort of sense and a brand new menu and put in a brand new team or make the team seem like the chef tell that story as well but that's a really big commitment and most venues do not have that kind of money behind them to attempt such a massive undertaking.
1: No.
2: I think there's also something in the more you try to change direction, change the story. I don't know, I feel like for myself as a journalist who's hearing that, you're just thinking, eh, like mm. how much do I want to invest column inches or research time into this venue because is the space cursed? Is it, Am I just going to have to pull this in a month or two? I don't know, but it's such a tricky one because... Yeah, every idea seemed like a good one, but yeah, maybe who knows what it was on that windswept stretch of Fitzroy Street. I think you
1: nailed the problem right there.
2: Could be. James, tell us about your experience in returning to Adelaide and what the project is um, at the group.
4: Yeah, returning after, I guess, such a long time away has been really interesting. It's been challenging, of course, coming back to Australia, getting used to the culture and the industry again. And it's, of course, it's so different. And even when I talk about where I came from working, sometimes it's a hard example to use. I think that there's a lot of lessons and a lot of value in things to talk about. But it can sometimes be, for me as well, feel a little bit difficult to say, yeah, at Noma, we did this. And it's, yeah, but how are we supposed to do that in a small neighbourhood wine bar? But I think
1: it becomes a barrier, do you mean?
4: No, I don't think it becomes a barrier. I just get a little bit... I guess I get self-conscious about ah. just being sensitive towards that and the yes. way that you speak about it. For some people, it's it seems far away. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. But in saying that, I still feel like there's a lot of value in lessons from things that we did there and things that I took away from there. But it is very different.
1: And so what... Sorry to... I'm just <laughs> circling back to Danny's question. Tell, me, tell us about what, what you're doing with the venues in, in SA to reposition them.
4: Yeah, one of the challenges we're finding, well, is that I guess the three venues that we are now working with, they're all venues that had existing personalities within the city and some of them for quite some time. One of them has been there for 12 years and another for 10 and then another for three and there is that challenge of those three venues, getting new ownership, followed by new management, and then form, formulating, I guess, a group to try to tie them together with all the good intentions of especially more so about building like a culture. But I, I think from the outfacing to, to the guest facing, it, it is a challenge because we do have There is one of them that's been there for 12 years. It has been renovated. It is a slightly different, quite a different concept. And there is a new team and there is a new chef. And it's something that we're working on. And I would even go as far as saying, from the very beginning, we even engaged with a very good PR company because we felt like this is the right thing to do. And it's something that I, in my previous work, had been slightly used to, even though we did a lot of that stuff ourselves there. But here and there, we would work with PR companies. And in returning we tried to do that but we also realized actually it's too soon we are still in a stage of like we're still figuring out ourselves like establishing even though we had a clear idea of what it is we want to do we're still building that message and we're still building that internal story or narrative and I guess not only from a budget perspective but also Giving that message to someone who can put it out there—it was maybe slightly too early in retrospect.
2: When you say that word culture, to me, feels like the venue's internal narrative, the stories that you tell one another about yourselves. How does it? Does that always have to be? Does that always have to map onto the story that you tell your customers, your audience?
4: Not necessarily. I don't think so. But I do think that the. I, th- I do think that that the final outcome the final delivery and execution is always better if there is a strong culture regardless of whether a journalist or a dining guest necessarily oh, takes note of that and sees it or feels it in general in general across the board I feel of course it's something that's very important
2: yeah I think it's really important and yeah. I feel reasonably attuned to it as a diner yeah. where if it Your restaurants can feel very hollow if the story is doing a lot of the work that the soul of the restaurant doesn't support. So it's really interesting. I suppose not all restaurants would have the time, though, to do what you're doing and wait and really feel like they know who they are and then really open the door, pull the curtain back, okay, now we're here. So it's how do you operate while still figuring that out?
4: Yeah, but at the same time, I think for like venue owners young venue owners new venue owners or operators i still think that it's worth making sure you you said yourself like making sure that you've really understood yourself and you've got that clear message and the most important thing is before you go out and tell anyone else is that your team understands it and that it's not just telling them that they actually feel invested and that they feel a part of it and then it's going to make spreading that message so much easier and that goes even beyond when you're when you're outside of your venue in a public space or your team or staff are outside in a public space, it's also about how they interact and hold themselves because they're an extension of your venue and your culture. And I've seen occasions where there's been people from certain places who act in a certain way and that has then affected their narrative in yeah. either a good or bad way.
2: That's my, it just You just threw me back to high school where I was told I needed to wear my tie properly on the bus. Ah. <laughs> Because I was carrying, I was an extension of the brand wherever I went. But I know what you mean. I think it's yeah, yeah it's yeah. true. Yeah,
4: I wouldn't want to say it as as much as being too instructive or disciplinary about it. But it's still just it's just that that's part of. Well, the it's culture. pride, isn't it's it? It's an extension it's, of culture. Yeah. And your narrative in the end, and your story. I think.
3: I think that in any industry, we know that your staff are your best asset. But have they, for a venue, I think that giving your staff the training and giving them the understanding and giving them the opportunity to contribute and to feel pride in what's being delivered, it will go a massive way because they're going to be able to be talking to whoever is sitting there no matter and not knowing who that person is a benefit. There was, of course, once upon a time where there were in the restaurants the na- the photographs of all the reviewers and you were on and you were on and those were the, I don't know if anyone does that anymore because... They do. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a crazy idea. And now, look, I have I know that we have previously done that, but now when people ask us, we just go, no, maybe you should look at every single person 100%. in the same way. Treat, so we say no. Treat now. every
1: guest as a VIP. I, For sure. I so much believe in that. I really can't stand it to if I'm at a restaurant and I'm reviewing and I'm getting the massive steak and the people next to me are getting the thin steak. It's just so embarrassing and it makes me feel bad but it makes the other guests feel twice as bad.
2: Roslyn, from the point of view of a venue who wants to get some coverage, what kinds of – how can they put their best foot forward and what shouldn't they do?
1: I'm just picking up on a couple of things that Fiona and James said about – you were talking about the soft openings and when the owners were ready to go out with their soft openings and you were talking about – building your internal culture and then feeling ready to convey that for us in the media we're all about what's new that's it's there in the title newspaper you're wanting the new and so if someone if a PR person comes to me after a restaurant's been open for six months and says hey we've got this new venue we thought it might be a good one for the just open column it's just, no, it's not just open. How how am I going to tell, how am I going to con my readers into thinking that it's a new venue if you've been open for six months? It's, yeah, that's one of the ones that I really get stuck on. It's just, that is not a narrative.
3: Yeah. <laughs> we definitely do encounter that. We have restaurants that open, they think that in the first three months everything will be cruisy and they won't need a publicist and then after three months they ring and we're like, You have just made your life so much more difficult because there was so much we could have achieved if you had come to us a few months before. And it's not irredeemable, but it is a great opportunity that's been missed because I remind people it's called news for a reason. (laughs)
2: James you're not you don't have those new venues anyway but you've also got this sense that you want to really have it all shipshape before you go out there so what are you counting on it sounds like you've got different narratives that, or how are you who are you telling your story to is it more a neighborhood thing is it are you focusing more on word of mouth if you're not if you're avoiding this news cycle where are you going
4: we're not necessarily avoiding it. We're still engaging with uh, journalists and media. and But we're already, and we're not holding back, we're just already in it. So it's more of a daily monitoring. It's just working away and chipping away at getting better every day and training more and restructuring better systems. Like we could do this better and we could do that better. And so it's not like we're holding back. We're just not necessarily going out there, waving our arms and making a huge song and dance it's more just being patient and just chipping away if that makes sense yeah that's at least our approach now and really still feel like we're because even though the venues are as old as they are essentially like the new ownership and the new management is still very new it's still very fresh so to see it from that perspective we have to build off that not off the fact that the thing is 12 years old
2: yeah and I guess sometimes a venue that's been around for a while can have a narrative imposed upon it. So let's say Noma gets named number one restaurant in the world and then there's like this runaway story that is, I don't know, how much does that feel that story is to do with you? How much in control of it do you feel?
4: Yeah. <laughs> that's a big conversation but I think going back to... Noma, for instance, we reinvented ourselves so many times in so many ways and constantly kept moving, which in turn was something that provided like a huge amount of motivation and excitement within the team and kept everyone like there was always something coming. There was always like, okay, we're going to go to Japan and do a pop-up. And then the year after we're going to go to Sydney and then we're going to go to Mexico and then we're going to do something else and then we're going to close down and then we're going to reopen and then we're going to change the way that we do the menu completely. But of course, there was a lot of like experience and skill in getting the messaging right. And it was poured over and over all the details. And that was even without using PR that was done internally by not just one person, but a big group of minds thinking together. And... But of course, as I said before, it's easy to when you're talking about a place that's already, it didn't have to be done. It's not like we were trying to get attention, but of course it did bring fresh excitement and attention each time something happened, not only internally, culturally for the team, but then of course, certain people, of course, some people are like, what are they doing? Who cares? And but the people that were interested were like, oh, wow, they're doing that now. That's amazing.
2: Yeah. But what about that narrative that isn't yours, which is other people have said you're the best restaurant in the world? Mm-hmm. How does how do you integrate that, if at all, you, if you do, with your own stories?
4: I know it might sound cliche and easy to say, but stay humble and have that mantra. And as you were saying before, treat everyone like a VIP, be good to everybody. We had people that had, we had a lot of attention and we had a lot of, there was a lot of access. We were very open to a lot of, let's say, media or journalists, but for us, one thing that you said, anyone could be anyone and a reviewer. So it's much easier just to just do the absolute best you can for everybody. And we we found that was the best possible way to approach it. Yeah. And I think that it was very noticeable. Yeah,
2: I'm going to turn to you guys for the very best questions of the evening. We've got a couple of mics that will go around to the audience. But before we do, I'd just love to check in about influencers. Fiona, you're... Do you deal with influencers? Like, we do. Can you talk about that side of what you do?
3: Yes. Once upon a time, we would have different events for influencers and media. We wouldn't put them in the same venue on the same night because the media hated having the influencers there with their big cameras taking photos and interrupting the proceedings and making the food go cold. And we don't really do that anymore because I think that there is a wonderful understanding now of the like whole ecosystem and everyone really actually works together. The influencers that we work with are people that we have very long-standing relationships with. Some of the people we've been working with for five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Since they had like little tiny, teeny little blogs, they're mostly micro-influencers. We send them invitations to come and dine. They will always come to enjoy the experience. We don't ask them to post if they wish to post. If they enjoyed the experience, they can. We try to make sure that they are given the best and a good experience by the venue. And then of course they are expected to acknowledge that they were given this opportunity by the venue. So this is what we expect of them and what the venue would probably expect as well. If they don't feel that the experience was up to scratch or that their readers would like and they don't post, that's fine. We don't insist that they post. And that sort of seems to have worked quite well. We don't engage paid influencers. Sometimes influencers would say that they would like to get paid and we would say that's not really part of the deal we'd rather you came and enjoyed it yourself and if you want to write about it great and we don't hire massively paid influencers because most of the venues and clients that we have do not have that sort of so we work with the small to medium sector and small run family companies and very few big corporations so we don't engage influencers in that way.
2: And venues often get approached by people who promise posts in exchange for free food, sometimes cash, but most often it's contra. What kinds of things would you advise venues to be mindful of if they want to engage in, in those kinds of
3: relationships? I know that we have very, some of our restaurants are like, no, they won't. They never do. In other cases, we have venues that actively engage. They have ongoing influencer programs. So every six months we would do a big influencer push for them and that's the way that they like to engage so it really varies I think that occasionally sometimes things can go wrong if you invite some influencers and then they drink the bar dry it has happened it has happened and that's disappointing because we're all working together you would imagine anyway so needless to say if that happens we don't work with those people again we have really strong relationships. If a venue I think that you just need to double check who the influence is, what's the value of it, sure, it's an experiment, but buying an ad in a newspaper is an experiment also. Yeah. So you just have to, I think, assess as publicists, we would look at the review we would look at the influencers and say, yes we agree or no we think that's a time waster. But I think you just have to assess how what their engagement is like Is that the right audience for you? Are the other pictures of them all on holidays in Byron Bay? Is that relevant to your audience? Yeah.
2: Have we got someone with the mic in their hand that wants to ask a question? No, (laughs) you're going to pass it around. Okay, put your hand up and Jane can head over with the mic. Come on. Britt.
1: Hi, guys. Thanks for being here tonight. It's been great so far. I essentially have a question in terms of Your narrative relating to your value in terms of the dollars that are sitting on your menu page on your website. Quite often I have as a marketing manager that concern of is what I'm putting out there when people don't know enough about us yet to see those, to go to our menu and see our menu items and be like, you know what, this is actually, this seems worth it, this seems like something I'd want to try and or is it the case of oh no what you're looking at a menu item on a page and you just think how how can you actually display that this the work and the effort and everything that goes along with it how you know when it comes to putting yourself out there on social media is what can be the best way to demonstrate your value to get people to go to your website and actually see that experience as being something really enriching I can hear a lot behind that question yeah
2: Yeah. James do you have a view on that
4: yeah, that's a hard one, but I think I think you have to have a level of confidence and market research, of course, to have a look around you and compare, in a way, what everyone else is doing. Not to copy and follow, but I guess to set somewhat of a standard of what others are charging to make sure that you sit somewhere, if the, wherever the venue sits, maybe it sits along other types of venues like that that you feel that you align yourself with, I think is a good way to start. And then by actually, of course, executing and delivering. And then I guess the word of mouth is the place to start. I'm not sure if that answers your question, but that's where I would start.
2: I would say have a really good about page on the website or have notes or menu descriptions about that backs up a little bit the price of the dish because it's got this aged soy or the something in-house or the learnt in Hokkaido, whatever it is, like just a bit of narrative around it that puts a bit of heft behind this raw number and that you've that, – this, it makes it clear that this is something that you've arrived at because mm. that's what it needs to be. What do you think, Ros? Like we look at menus a million times a day. Do, what? How closely do you look at prices and do things sometimes leap out at you as a little bit awry?
1: I don't really look too closely at prices actually. I'm more interested in the dishes themselves rather than the prices. And I agree with Danny. I think the About page is really so important and so often restaurateurs just don't do enough work there they might have a couple of wafty sentences about the restaurant but as a journalist and i'm sure i'm not just journalists but guests want to know who who are the owners what's their background tell us a little bit of that story this is the this is a prime spot to be telling your narrative Mm. and expressing a little bit of who you are and maybe a photo maybe photos of the dishes or something like that but just to be able to put faces and people behind behind the venue I think it's such a truism of journalism that people are behind every story it's we're telling essentially people stories it might be a story about a venue but it's actually a story about the human side of that restaurant and so that about page can do a lot of the heavy lifting
4: I think that's what makes people feel connected obviously into the story I would just add I think I think it's very worthwhile to also just heavily consider your menu wording and the way that menus are actually written don't underestimate how a layout of a menu can read as an operator it's something I think about a lot and you do see it a lot these days I mean I know I get it sometimes it makes sense when you read a menu and you're like artichoke and leek and you're like okay
1: artichoke leak. leek guanciale yeah how does that come together tell me is it sauteed is it roasted tell me a little give me some adjectives so right. that i can put that dish together in my mind not just a shopping list
4: yeah i think in the old days like especially in fine art but like menus would read like super long it doesn't have to be that way but sometimes just a little bit more to entice people and give them a picture
2: it has to fit with the style of venue i guess don't talk don't over explain but also don't assume that just because it's an ingredient that you know backwards because it's in the restaurant every day perhaps your audience doesn't know people often can get put off by too many unfamiliar words in a dish description so yeah i just think don't be afraid to go a little bit of a bit of the cell without being too over the top when you're yeah i think it's a really good way of demonstrating value
3: and I also think that from your the chef and the team point of view, if you could talk about the experience of the team is really beneficial so people understand that there's been a history, and a journey to this particular point. Do we have any more questions? Yeah. Thanks.
1: <laughs> I would just like to know people's opinions about finding the balance between giving people what they want and then potentially that aspect of your offering being wildly successful, but it's not what you saw the narrative of your venue being. That kind of running away with you and then you're now being known as the venue that provides this amazing thing when it's not necessarily what you wanted to be front and centre of your venue. So if you start pushing it back against that, then you just seem quite cynical. But if you go with it, then you've lost where the passion of your project was to start with. if anyone had any uh, That's a really thought. good example of wanting to change the narrative, right? So you don't want to be known as the guys who only do gnocchi, fruto or something, whatever it is, whatever the novel dish of the moment is. Yeah, I think that can be a really tough one. A lot of people that have seen it on Broadsheet, seen it on Good Food, seen it on Instagram and want to come in and try that dish, maybe... Just bring it back as a special is what I would be saying <laughs> instead of having it on, if that's
3: the way you're wanting to change it. That's true. The other thing is, of course, having your staff really talk about the other components of the menu. There are some things that never move off any menu, like the kingfish at Barlarina has been there for forever and ever. So there And is, I hope it stays. And I hope it stays. <laughs> and I know at St. Ali, my Mexican cousin, has been on the menu for a million years But I think that to making sure that your staff are encouraging people to explore new items of the menu, maybe there's a way that you can actually put some of the things that uh, they could go maybe further down on the menu somehow or another, maybe resort your menu and look at putting new things at the front so that you're encouraging people to see the dishes that you want them to try and then, of course, beautiful photographs of the new dishes as well on your social media that's one thing that we haven't really discussed but having beautiful photography and video and then using that on your social media as well so that people are very responsive to hearing more about the new dishes and so you're going to be looking for those people who would be more adventu- a little bit more adventurous that would be i've had that dish before let me try something new let me see what else these guys can do
2: it's a i think that's a really tricky one because you don't want it to be like killing your soul that you have to keep serving up this dish it makes me think of like sting or u2 or whatever that has to keep singing those old songs and but i think a lot of artists and perhaps chefs come to a point come to a point where they realize that it is a privilege to give pleasure to people. If it's something that you can bear to do and like it makes money, maybe it should still be there, but you just get a lot of your creative energy from all the stuff you're doing around it. But I would say if it really feels like you're not being who you want to be, like that's, I don't know, that's probably not worth it. So I just bite the bullet and tell different stories and just be, just live them, be, just stand behind them with confidence and uh, yeah, just, go forward oh no we don't have that but you've got to try this my god this is so amazing you will not believe how much you're going to love it keep talking till i order it (laughs) yeah move on (laughs) then we got time for another question or two
3: Uh,
1: mine's a little bit more of a quicker one but i was just wondering if the type of publication that you choose to work with particularly with a new venue opening does their story have an impact on your own venue as well For instance, say, the age and broadsheet might have different connotations, but how does that affect your venue, do you think? And is it just down to doing your own research? Roz, do you want to pick that up? I'm not sure this is going to directly answer that question, but we are often put in a position where we've got a new venue and we've got PR people who say, all right, broadsheet's getting the first look, but you can talk about the menu or Broadsheet's getting this, but you can do this. And it's unbelievably frustrating to not be given an opportunity to tell our readers the full story. It's not about our egos as the journalists. It's actually dudding our readers from a really key part of a story. And so that's endlessly frustrating. I'd rather we were all given the same information or much the same information at much the same
3: time and best person wins (laughs) look it is a regular conversation that we have with clients and we encourage clients generally speaking to make it an open situation where everyone gets the information then in some cases some one of the organisations more aggressively will say we want to have first look and I guess if they come in first with the opportunity then we would go in that direction but we also try to counsel a fair overview. I don't think people have very strong, a lot of venues don't really have a strong idea of who their audience is. They think it's a certain type of person and I'm reminding them that people get their information in all sorts of different places. So it's it's wise to have a broad spread.
1: I'll just add to that. If a venue thinks that broadsheet is a better fit for their intended audience, then by all means do that. I'm not saying it has to be open slather, but i I don't like it when I feel like I'm being manipulated in what I can give our readers by PR people playing games. We had a situation a few months ago with a hotel that was opening with a with a restaurant and the PR people they're not from Melbourne they're from out of state were gave the story to a Sydney title and then left us with nothing wouldn't even tell us how many seats the restaurant had let alone anything about the food anything actually at all about the venue until four days after the restaurant had opened and when it came to the review they not only what they were trying to control that as well and so they wouldn't let us send our photographer into the restaurant when the restaurant was open because they said it would be not fair for their own hotel guests so they had us come in at a time when the restaurant wasn't even open they brought in their own stage managed crowd and we had the photos taken like that and it was just how is that even an honest representation of the restaurant for the people who are going to become your customers it was just really frustrating
2: Wow, that is a really excruciating example of someone trying to control their venue's narrative and, uh, yeah, perhaps not succeeding and also annoying many people along the way. I think we've got time for one more question here in the middle. Hi, I just wanted to follow on from reinventing a narrative of a venue and that there are a few venues that I suppose make an appearance in media quite often. And it feels like there's a lot of venues who don't, whether they've been around for a really long time or they haven't changed their offering or changed their narrative. I suppose my question, is there a point where a venue just falls on the wayside and gets forgotten? How do we manage that as we go into years of operation, that kind of thing? It's a really great question because restaurants don't want to just be news for the first few months. I know that I love in my Sunday Age column writing about restaurants that have been around for a while and I feel like restaurants that have been there for 2, 5, 10, 15 years are actually better than the ones that have been around for a few months. Sorry, I'm answering the question. <laughs> moderator, moderator. Dan- um. Danny does a very
1: good job of that, I must say. I think that's – you're one of the few voices who – does visit restaurants that have been open for some time. But I they're
2: think. so good. Yeah. But I would say went to Coda recently, they're about to celebrate, yeah, that 14 or 15 years. So I think an anniversary is always really good. I think the amazing winter dit, Andrea's nonna's ribollita or whatever, like some kind of story, some kind of hook. So it's about finding the news when it's not exactly new, but I- it's something that's a great narrative.
1: Can I jump in there though? I would caution against either... The anniversary hook because it's important for you. often a restaurant. It's that's an important hook for a restaurant. Your customers probably won't care about that as a hook. It's not a selling point, and probably if it if we're going into winter and the chef's doing a winter menu, yet yeah, they should be. So that's not a selling point either. That's not a hook. That's not a hook either. But it could be. Um, you're introducing. The nona's dish or the something else or you're doing something that's new, something that's hooky, something that's eye-catching – or you're hosting a special dinner with a winemaker, or some mm, I don't know some other. One. I know that's actually a bit sketchy, <laughs> but I'm trying to think of some other ideas. It has to. You have to have give people some reason to talk about you, not just we're still here,
2: we're still open. Or think about how we do stories a lot, where it's three great somethings. Sometimes good pictures from PRs can be where they've done a little bit of the work for you, and they're like, we've got this, like definitive winter gnocchi but we notice that's doing it and it's doing it mm-hmm. and that can be pretty good because you're like oh yeah i don't know
3: he's pointing out a possible possible trend yeah we we often recommend collaborative events like bringing a new voice into the kitchen for an event or a residency or some other components so that it's a brief way of reminding people that the venue's here and here's this extra reason why you should attend and why you should go and visit.
2: And with great photos.
3: And with great photos. That are in oh. the
1: format of the publication. Cannot stress enough how important photos are. If you do nothing else... Sorry, Fiona, I'm going to say, don't hire the PR person,
3: hire a photographer. Uh, <laughs> hire a professional photographer. <laughs> a
1: photographer yeah. And get landscape format photos, because you might have noticed all websites are landscape photos. They don't want those portraits, really. So, always get la- good quality landscape photos.
3: Not too dark.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and ca- if you've got a dish in the photo, provide the caption to say what is in that dish. Don't leave the journos guessing what's in the dish. Otherwise they're going to have to follow up and they're going to get annoyed every time they have to go back to you.
2: 1163B JPEG, not that (laughs) useful. (laughs) (laughs) I think we better leave you some time to grab a drink and chat amongst yourselves and also talk to the panellists. We'll be sticking around for a little while. But thank you so much for being here. I hope you found these insights and tales from the front useful, instructive, hopefully a little bit actionable. But will you please join me in thanking Fiona, Roslyn and James? And thanks also to Worksmith for hosting these really important hospitality events. Really great to create the space for these conversations. Thank you, all you guys.
1: And Danny for hosting. Thank uh, you, and Danny. Danny for hosting.
0: Thanks for tuning into this episode of Principle of Hospitality, the special bonus one in collaboration with our friends at WorkSmith. We hope you really enjoyed that panel discussion. Thanks to everyone involved for putting it together. It's been a great one. And until next time, stay well, everyone.